Well, this is a uh, late request yesterday evening, uh, and so I began to work on this. And let me go back and uh, make a note. So uh, it seems like a lot of subjects I've preached on recently. Uh, I do know that I have touched on this subject in sermons, but I have not spoken on this subject as a whole, where it was its entire topic, uh, since 2016. And I went back and looked. Actually, I preached uh, two lessons in a row on this topic, looking at them from different angles. I reviewed both of those lessons, and what we're going to do is look a little bit different at this. We're going to talk about elders' qualifications, their roles, and their authority. Uh, and we're going to do it a little bit different because you can go about anywhere uh, on the internet if you're looking for sound preaching. Uh, and you can look at a lot of churches of Christ who will speak on elders' qualifications, their roles, and authorities. We're going we're going to look at this a little bit different, and we're not going to spend as much time looking uh, on the general topic that a lot, of would, a lot of people would address. Now, as I began to work on this lesson, there was a number of things that came to mind, and one of them was this. Uh, I, I quite often will hear people, and I have a lot of discussions throughout the day uh, about religious things, I quite often will hear people who refer to their ministers as uh, a number of different topics. Now this is going to come up because one of the words used is actually part of the topic we're looking at, elders. Um, one of the terms that, uh, and actually it was mentioned today uh, in a religious discussion I had, she was talking about how their minister was a reverend. So you may be asking, <clears throat> is that an appropriate term for ministers? Well, the word reverend is based on obviously the word revere. It's also the same word, the base word we used for the word reverence. And again, many use that for their minister. Uh, however, what you'll find is if you go back and you look within the scriptures, there's really only one that deserves reverence. That is God, and that name is reserved for him. Listen to Psalms 111.9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Now, you'll never find this word reverend used to describe a minister within the New Testament. Uh, and certainly, I don't believe that there is anybody who deserves uh, to be reverenced. Um, we all have our own individual issues. And, and the reason this came about is, is because as, I'm not going to go back and spend time, but as uh, Catholicism came about, you had those who really looked at the ministers as being a separate, set-apart class of people. And so... There was the idea that the building was holy, the people were holy. Uh, and so eventually you, you began to find people using this term reverend. Now let's get to the thought process that really had me in mind as I began to look at this lesson. Uh, another word that you find quite often being used for ministers is the word pastor. Now we're going to address this a little bit later in the lesson in more detail. Uh, I think most people use this name uh, meaning well, uh, but they use it based off what they have been taught or what they have seen take place throughout the denominational world around them. A minister can be an elder, an elder can be a minister, but the two are not synonymous one with another. A minister is simply one work of the church, uh, and a pastor or an elder is another work of the church. Uh, and as we go back to the word minister, again, there are certain scriptural words we find used for the minister that would be a, a preacher, an evangelist, or again, a minister. It is a person who proclaims the gospel. As a matter of fact, I was explaining this to a, a lady today at work. Um, I said, have you ever heard of the term evangelist? And she said, yes. And I said, that comes from the base word euangelion, which is the good news. And so an evangelist is one who preaches the good news. Now, as we begin to talk about the other word, pastor, which actually is, is an elder, uh, that is a completely separate group or a work apart from the ministers. Okay, You've got ministers or evangelists or preachers, but you have another group of men who are called pastors or elders. The New Testament uses a number of different terms to describe these men. Uh, it actually, the word elder comes from the Greek word presbyterios, and Paul had actually told Titus to go and to appoint elders in every city. Listen to Titus 1.5. 
For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. All right. You have the word presbyter. Most, most people probably watching this are familiar with the word presbyter. There are a number of denominational groups that actually use that uh, as a title. It is from the Greek word presbyterios, okay? The base word for that is presbys. Now, if you go back and look that up in the Greek, you'll find that that um, actually means that the, the definition for the word presbys is older or elderly. Uh, and the, re the reader, as you begin to look through this, and if you do your study, you're going to recall that this is the... The word is actually often translated in the King James as elder, but you will find in other versions where it is actually transliterated as the presbyter or presbytery or uh, another form of that word. Now, in the original Greek, there isn't any difference at all between a presbyter and an elder. Okay? Again, the word's transliterated in the King James. Let me give you an example, 1 Timothy 4.14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Again, that is the same word that we find uh, elder is translated as over in Titus 1.5. So we're talking about the laying on of the hands of the elders. And so an elder is the same thing as a presbyter or the presbytery, which is the group of elders. That's Two of the words that we have, we have elder, we have presbyter. We also find elders being called bishops, right? This Greek word comes from the word episkopon. Uh, in Titus 1.7, Paul actually uses the word bishop as a synonym for elder, which we look at in verse 5. Now, I just read you verse 5. Notice, again, let me reread it. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, if you skip down two verses to verse 7, it then says, For a bishop must be... So he was talking about elders in verse 5. He's still talking about elders in verse 7. Okay, but he's calling them bishops now. We'll explain why here in a little bit. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. All right, there is, actually, there is absolutely no difference between a bishop and an elder. Now, I know in religious groups, you will find actually people distinguishing between the two, but if you just look at the context here of Titus 1, 5, and 7, you'll find that a bishop is an elder, and so an elder is a presbyter, an elder is a bishop. There isn't any difference here. The two words simply describe the same office and the same work, right? If you go back and look at the lexicon, it actually uh, describes this word bishop from the word episcopon as showing the superintendent function of an elder over a local group. Now, again, I'll talk about that here in just a little bit. We have another description being used for an elder. Now, remember I said that the preacher was called an evangelist, a minister, uh, or the preacher. Here we're seeing there are a number of names used for the elder. It is the same office. But these words have meanings, and they are describing that same office. Again, one of those words is overseer. Now, it's interesting. This word actually comes from the same word we just looked at, episcopon, but it is translated different. Okay, Instead of being translated as a bishop, it's being translated as an overseer. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 1-3. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, notice this, taking the oversight thereof, right, they're an overseer, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. All right. We have another example of this word here, overseer, episkopos, over in Acts 20, 28. <clears throat> Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, we're talking about the Christians, the body, over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, again from that Greek word episkopos, to feed the church of God, all right, that's the flock he's talking about, 
which he hath purchased with his own blood. They are overseers to the flock, right? He has purchased the church with his blood. They're overseers of that church or of that flock. All right, now we get back down to the word that originally had me kind of thinking about this, all the different names that you find used for ministers. And here we have for elders. We have what people oftentimes wrongly use for a minister. That is the word pastor. It comes from the Greek word here, poimenos. We find it used over in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists or ministers or preachers and some pastors, again, this is the elders, and teachers. Now, it's interesting, the lexicon, if you go look this word up here for pastor, really means the same thing as a herdsman or a shepherd, right? And so again, you find pastors being called a number of names, pastor, presbyter, elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd. You'll even find people oftentimes actually will use that word shepherd I've seen that used actually to refer to ministers. Again, no, that is talking about the elders of the church. Now, Paul had actually called the Ephesian elders to meet with him over in Miletus. The elders or the overseers of the congregations, they were to shepherd the church of God. They were to be the pastors. And Peter uses this term precisely in the exact same way over in uh, 1 Peter 5, 2. <clears throat> and so we'd already mentioned that passage here. Pastoring is the work of a group of men who are also called elders, but their, their job is to shepherd the church. Now, if you think about the shepherd, without getting too far off here, <clears throat> the shepherd ultimately were responsible for the flock, for the sheep. Uh, and they willingly uh, would give their life for the sheep. They were to watch out for dangers. They were to keep the flock safe. The sheep, in turn, knew that the shepherds had their best interest uh, in mind, and so they looked to the shepherds, one for strength, but for comfort, and, then, and two for reassurance. Again, that's the idea we have here for the elders. They are to be pastors or shepherds. There is a group of them. There's always a plurality. I was explaining this at work today. The reason for the plurality is basically, again, the checks and balance system. Now, I've had people come ask me, well, what do you do when you only have two elders uh, and the vote is 50-50? So, <clears throat> there is no vote. If you have two elders and one is not sound, the second one who is sound and faithful, he just steps down. That dissolves, that dissolves the eldership, right? That solves the problem until you, again, have two men who are faithful. If you have a plurality of elders, let's say three, one goes off the deep end, he's no longer sound, the other two who are will come together and based on Scripture and showing where he is off, I would have them announce to the congregation why he's no longer faithful and why he's no longer an elder if it, if it got to that extreme case. Now, you'd hope that wouldn't happen. <clears throat> but, again, there is the checks and balance system. And we always find that there, again, is a plurality. You cannot have one elder, right? I know that's what the Catholic Church does, right? They have the, they have the papa. He's not an elder, but he's the one man in charge. They look to him for all of their answers. Well, you also will find that today in a lot of the community churches and Baptist churches. And so it's not scriptural to have one man oversight. Listen to Acts 14, 23. And when they had ordained them elders, plural, in every church and had prayed with fasting, they, commanded, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, I didn't go back and write down passages, but you will find that when you have uh, pastors, you have deacons. Uh, they are the servants. They carry out the work on the behalf of the elders. I'm not going to really go back and spend any time on that. And so what, here's what we've learned so far. The elders are a special group of men. Yes, they do go by a number of of different uh, descriptions, it's not titles, descriptions of their jobs, right? Overseers, shepherds, so forth. Just as ministers have different descriptions, right? Evangelists, that's a description, right? He's, he's a preacher of the gospel. A minister, again, he's a servant. A preacher, he's proclaiming the word. All of these are descriptions. They are not titles within the churches of Christ. We do not wear titles, but we do wear descriptions. 
And so the elders are a special group of men. Yes, called by different names, but they are all the same. Um, they're all doing the same function here. <clears throat> and these are not just people that you pick willy-nilly. Now, I said I wasn't going to focus on this as a whole, and I'm not. However, uh, I am going to spend just a few minutes because these men do have specific requirements which they will meet. There's a number of places you can look at these. I'm going to go to the primary two uh, passages that I would go to if I'm trying to explain what an elder is to somebody. So turn on over to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. That will be the first passage we're going to look at. Uh, again, these are, I know I used to, before I was a Christian, I attended a community church, and the way that they picked elders was uh, they had a rotational schedule. You're not going to find that anywhere uh, in the New Testament. There is no rotational schedule. You're qualified, and once you're qualified, you remain as an elder unless you become unqualified. There's no need to come back and requalify you every so many years. Uh, you are qualified unless there's, an unscriptural, unless there's a scriptural reason for you to be removed. <clears throat> I hate to have to even suggest something like that, but uh, we have had instances where that's taken place. It happens in community churches. There are even some congregations in the past within the Lord's Church which have done this. So there is a set of requirements. Apologize for the dry throat, guys. I've been speaking all day. There's a set of requirements that you must meet. Uh, and let's go on over and look at 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 7. This is the true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, now I've already showed you the bishop is a presbyter, is an elder, is an overseer, is a, is a pastor, it goes on and on. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I want to focus in on something for just a second. Verse 2, A bishop then must... All right, let me pause. He's going to start to give a list. Let me say this again. A bishop then must. I have seen and know personally ministers of the gospel uh, who said that this list that we're going to look at here is not a set of requirements. Uh, it, it is really a set of suggestions. Uh, and ideally, you should try to find men that have these suggestions before you make them elders. I'm going to go back and suggest this. Uh, when Paul writes to Timothy and he says must, he means must. He means exactly what he says he means. It, it, must means they, they have to meet these requirements or they're not qualified to be an elder. That's why we call them elder qualifications. So let me continue on. A bishop then must be blameless. It doesn't mean he's, he's never sinned in his life. It means he's currently without blame. The husband of one wife, let me pause again, somebody always asks me, what do you think this means when it says the husband of one wife? Do you think it means right now currently? Uh, do you think it's talking about past relationships? Let me answer it this way because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. When it says he's the husband of one wife, I believe that means exactly what it says. It means he is the, he, he is the husband of one wife. If he's been married eight times, he's not the husband of one wife. He'd be the husband of eight women. Whether, whether those women have died and um, he has um, remarried, uh, whether they've been unfaithful and he's put them away, I believe that he is currently the husband of one wife. Now, if he had been married, his wife died and he got remarried, uh, and they said, how many, how many wives have you had? Well, the answer would be two. So I'm not going to spend any more time on this. I think this requirement is here for a reason, and again, I'm not going to go back and delve into all of it, but if let's say this gentleman had been married three times, and he might have been married scripturally three times, right? His first wife passed away. He loved her. She died. He got married to another woman. She cheated on him. He put her away. He got married a third time. And let's say he's married this third time, and the eldership uh, comes up for qualifications, and some people say, now, wait a minute. This, guy, this guy's been married three times. Some people in the congregation are saying he's not been married once. And then you've got people saying, well, I even really wonder if he's scripturally married right now. There's a number of reasons why I think this, uh, when it says the husband of one wife, it really means the husband of one wife. I think it stops a lot of the questioning and the naysaying and so forth. But I'm not going to go any further on it. I believe it means exactly what it says. He is the husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. I told you earlier that a pastor or an elder could be a minister, and he may be apt to teach, and he may be even their primary minister. 
Uh, he certainly has to be apt to teach uh, in other settings, whether it's in class settings or outside of the church, but uh, he has to be able to teach, and the reason for that is, is one, he's going to be a defender of the Word and that which is sound, uh, and so when someone comes and begins to teach error, he needs to be able to teach them that that's not true. Okay, So he has to be apt to teach. Not given to wine, you may say, well, I mean, can he drink a little? No, I believe this means exactly what it says. He's not given to any wine at all, right? No striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Again, this comes back and people say, well, I mean, come on, what if his, what if his children were um, faithful when they were in the house and then they weren't faithful when they were outside the house? Well, I think this goes back to uh, common sense. Uh, if his children were not faithful, and it's actually going to be covered in the next passage, uh, the next passage helps to deal with it in this passage, but if his children were faithful when they lived in the house, and then as soon as they moved out of the house, they weren't faithful, I have to question really how well they were taught and um, whether they were faithful in the first place. Now, it may have been that he did the best of his ability, uh, but when it says here that he, he ruled his own house, we again have to go down to the next passage and we have to ask some questions. So don't just stop right there because a man can rule his house correctly and it is possible that his children are not going to uh, be faithful and he, he may still not meet the requirements. Let me continue on. I apologize, I don't have a lot of notes, so I'm just going right here with what I've got. How shall I take care of the church of God? Not a novice, that goes back to the word presbyce there where I said it's uh, translated as actually the correct definition is an older person or an elder, right? Not a novice. Uh, and that's going to also be explained that um, he's got children um, who are believers. Most people who are older, their children are raised. That's why they can be believers. If they're younger, there's a good chance their children are not believers. I'll address that again here in a second. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good rapport of them which are without, without where? Those outside of the congregation, right? You don't want a man as an elder for a congregation who's known as being a liar, a cheat, and a, and a thief, right? People have to know that he's a good man, right? He, he's honest. Uh, he's, rep, he's a good representative of the church, of Christianity as a whole. It then says, Moreover, he must be of good rapport of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now again, we're going to tie this into the next passage we're going to look at, going over to Titus chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. And again, these are musts. These are not suggestions. They are not options. These need to be met for him to meet the requirements of an elder. Have men debated and discussed and argued over these qualifications? Yes, they have. Uh, we've had a number of discussions on them in great detail, and I think for the most part we came away with a good understanding. Let me say this. At any time when there is a concern over qualifications of an elder and you've got two groups, one says, well, I think this and I think that, if you are unsure, the only safe bet is to always refer back to the most safe position. Okay, Then there's no doubt. Uh, if you've got two groups fighting over that uh, and you want to be sure whether or not he's a qualified elder, revert back to the safest a scriptural uh, understanding that you can come up with, and you need to go with that understanding. You need to tie it in with a bunch of other passages, too. I'm just giving you a quick two. Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, notice this list is virtually identical, maybe worded a little different, and that's good for our understanding. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, if he's the husband of one wife, he is a male. You find, I, I've actually seen recently where churches of Christ or, are making women elders. Is she the husband of one wife? No. Even in today's messed up uh, world that's full of nonsense, we understand what this means. If an elder is the husband of one wife, it is a man. You cannot be a woman and be an elder. The same thing with a deacon, right? He's also... Uh, he has a faithful wife. Again, we go back and spend time on deacons. Deacons are men. You cannot have women who are deacons. You will find that out in the religious world. 
You'll even find it in some that claim to be churches of Christ. You will not find it in our scriptures. Okay. The pastor, the bishop, the elder is the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Uh, I had someone, uh, as a matter of fact, I had a discussion today and somebody asked me, do you, uh, can you, uh, are you an elder or can you be an elder or a pastor? And I said, no, I do not meet the qualifications. Uh, I do not have all of my children. Uh, they've not all obeyed the gospel. When it talks about being a faithful child, it's not talking about them just being faithful to you in the house. This is talking about being believers. Okay, I'm going to continue on here in a minute. They, having faithful children means that my children are believers. Let me continue on. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Again, this, these are requirements. You need to meet these requirements. Now, I actually had somebody call me and say, well, what if... What if all of their children um, have obeyed the gospel and then one's no longer faithful? Well, first of all, he's an elder. He's an older man who's out of the church. Most likely his children are raised. If they're no longer still faithful, uh, they are not faithful children. Just because you see the word, word children does not mean that we're talking about little ones. Okay? My children are always my children, whether they are 21 or whether they are 15. So... I hear people say, well, I'm, a, I'm a, an elder, and I say, uh, all of your children are, are baptized and faithful believers, and I've had them tell me, well, no, I've got two of them that have not yet obeyed the gospel. If they haven't obeyed the gospel, they're not a believer yet or a non-believer. They haven't made a decision one way or the other. They're not old enough. And so, for an elder or a person who is considering being an elder or the congregation's considering them to be an elder... He has to meet all of these requirements, including all of his children have to be faithful. And so if they are not uh, Christians, they've not obeyed the gospel, or they are unfaithful Christians, he doesn't meet the requirements. Now, I, I'm sure I'm going to get some pushback on that, but there are a number of ministers who would agree with that. Uh, and again, that is the safest route to take. I believe the scriptures mean exactly what they, what they say. All right. So we've just quickly looked at two sets of requirements. I said I wasn't going to focus on it greatly. These two sets of requirements, again, are not uh, options. They are mandates, and a man cannot simply ignore these requirements and go and call himself an elder. Does it happen? It happens all the time. I know men who are elders, or I know of men who are elders who do not meet the qualifications, or they didn't meet them uh, when, they become, when they became elders. Only God can delegate authority, and that authority is only given to those men who meet the conditions. Uh, I had someone say, well, uh, so-and-so who's an elder, he said this. And in my mind, I don't even think I said it out loud, but in my mind, I said, I know who that man is, and I know he doesn't even meet the qualifications for being an elder. Uh, and furthermore, because he wasn't from our congregation, uh, he has no authority whatsoever that we do here anyways, and I'll address that. God's the one that delegates authority. He gives it to those that meet that condition. Do men sometimes choose men who are not qualified to be elders? Yes, but that's not God-given authority. That's man-given authority. Okay, One who has received delegation of authority, they're not acting upon their own thoughts and desires when they exercise this authority. Uh, and that's because this authority was given by God. And therefore, elders in the Lord's church, they don't have any type of an authority that comes from themselves. They've been given this authority directly by God, due to the fact that they meet the requirements spelled out in God's Word. Okay? This authority is delegated from God, and so rebellion from uh, anybody against that authority in their, and I have to word this carefully, in their properly carrying out of God's authority would be direct rebellion against God. What I mean is this. When an elder is, is scripturally... Um, giving requirements or mandates or whatever, based on God's Word, book, chapter, and verse, those that are rebelling against the elders' decisions, when it's in alignment with the Scriptures, are rebelling against not just the elder, and you get people that say, oh, I disagree with the elder. Well, if he's in alignment with God's Word, you're rebelling directly against God. Okay. Now, you may be saying, well, wait a minute. What if an elder goes and takes it upon himself and 
He's not acting the way an elder ought to be acting, and he's abusing this authority. Well, that has happened. There are elders who have abused the authority that was given to them, or at least the position they were in. But the Christian is not under any authority to follow the direction of elders who are contradicting Scripture. And I could look at a number of passages, but listen to Acts 5.29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, they were actually dealing with Jews who were telling them, Don't go out and proclaim the Word of God anymore, right? They had been strictly given a charge by Christ Himself to go out and to proclaim the Word of God. Now you've got men saying, don't do that. And He says, uh, you know, is it better for us to obey you or to listen to God? Well, we're going to do what God tells us to do. Same thing when it comes to an elder. If, elder, if an elder who is in a position of authority uh, mandates or teaches or states somebody is to do something that's contrary to Scripture, you are to do what God says, not what the elders say, right? I've mentioned this before. We don't have elders here currently. This congregation uh, is overseen by the faithful men. Uh, if we had elders here, uh, the minister's role is to go out and to preach the gospel. And you may say, how much of it? Any of it that I want, uh, anywhere that I want, and for it should be for uh, the covering of the gospel in its entirety, right? And so if an elder were to come and to say, hey, uh, Sean, uh, we disagree with your view on whatever it is. Let's just make something up. Baptism. We disagree with on your, on your view on baptism, and so we do not want you preaching on baptism anymore. Well, as an evangelist or a minister or a preacher, part of my job is to preach the full counsel of God. He, therefore, is asking me to contradict uh, the Scriptures in the regard to my uh, position. Again, it's not a title the role that I have. So an elder telling me to not preach certain portions of the gospel, that is unscriptural. He does not have the right to do that, and therefore I do not have to listen to him if he were to say that. I would continue to preach the gospel that he told me not to preach, uh, and I can always preach that somewhere else when they fire me. Right? And let me say that to any ministers who might be watching this. If you're being told not to preach something, I'd preach on it the next week. I would call them on their heels and make them fire you. Uh, I wouldn't tolerate that for a second. They have, elders have delegated authority from God. They are to go back and they are to, as it, as it does not originate within themselves, they are to go back, they are to use the Word of God. They're not lawmakers, but God is. They're not dictators. God is the one who has set the commands. They have the authority to make scriptural decisions in order to carry out certain functions. Uh, one of those would be overseeing the congregation. We already looked at that passage, Acts 20, 28. They're overseers. One of those would be to shepherd the flock, Acts 20, 28, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Uh, they would be able to make decisions in watching out for one's souls, Hebrews 13, 17. This may take place on an individual basis. It could also take place on a congregational basis. I was explaining to someone today, if, if an elder found out that, and, and he had heard from, through the grapevine that I was out having an affair, uh, he would have right to deal with me individually. My guess would be, depending on the matter, whether it was private or public, if it was a private matter and nobody knew about it, he'd probably come deal with me in a private matter first. If it's public, good chance it's going to be made public very quickly. He has the right to watch out for my soul as an individual, and he has the, he has the right and, in both cases, the mandate to watch out for the souls of the congregation as a whole. He also has the right to make decisions uh, in order to spiritually rule over the local congregation. We're going to look at this in a little more detail. But passages would be Hebrews 13, 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 14. He also has the uh, mandate to direct, to guide, and to persuade the church. 1 Timothy 3, 4, uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And so he has the right to make decisions in all of those areas and in other areas, which we'll touch on here. Now again, I told you this was a late night study, so hopefully I keep this in his as much of order as I can based off my notes. Since people are different, and since we have differing opinions, when it comes to matters of judgment, matters of uh, concern or opinion, uh, we would also call these matters of expedience. Elders, they may make determination in these matters of expedience, okay? At this point, they're not going back necessarily and making a judgment based on an actual command of God. 
what they're doing is, is they're looking at the ways in which we carry out the commands. That's what is an expedience. Now, you may be watching this and you may be saying, what's an expedience? Well, I needed an example, and lo and behold, last night at uh, whatever time it was, I saw one pop up on Facebook, and so I'm going to use that as my example. Let's talk about what an expedience is. Let's do that talking about worship. What is an expedience? All right. So we could go back and look throughout our scripture. I jotted down some verses as I work my way through this, but Jesus commanded that the disciples were to partake of the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, 14 through 20. Paul taught the very same thing in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. The Lord's Supper is to be a remembrance that takes place. And as Christians, we have by apostolic authority uh, the example shown where Christians always met on Acts 20, verse 7. That is the first day of the week. And so, so far, the Lord's Supper, that is not an expedience. We are commanded to do it. We have apostolic example of doing it and Paul reiterating it. And we have apostolic example uh, of the day in which they did it. That was the first day of the week. That's the only day of the week authorized for uh, the partaking of the Lord's Supper and worship. None of those are expediences, okay? I'm getting to a point here. So, that we must meet and that we must partake of the Lord's Supper, containing of the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread on the first day of the week, that is not an expedience, that is a doctrinal matter. We have biblical example and we have biblical commands. Now, here's the question, when do you do it? We already know you have to do it on the first day of the week, but what time do you do it? Somebody has to make a decision for that, and so the elders, if you have elders, will get together and they will uh, begin to look or determine what time would be most, most expedient to carry that out, right? I think most of us would agree it's probably not very expedient for the elders to uh, mandate that we come and gather for worship at 4 o'clock in the morning, okay? Commands and approved examples are doctrine, uh, those cannot be altered. They're not a matter of opinion. They're not up for debate. So when you look at the question of when do we meet, you can go back and look in your scriptures, and you're going to find they met at different times. There is, no, there is no commandment or scripture that tells us what time of the day we have to meet, and so somebody has to pick a time, and the time of matter, the time that we gather, is a matter of expedience. It's a matter of judgment. It's a matter of opinion, Okay. One person may say, my opinion is we meet at 8. Another would say, well, I think we should meet at, at 9, or we should meet at 10. Or someone may say, well, I think we should meet at 4. The elders will determine a time that's most expedient for all. So, quickly, we see that the worship that was commanded to take place, the Lord's Supper, uh, and the day that they gathered, and the elements for the worship, none of those are expediency. Those are commandments. Those are uh, apostolic example. But the time that they met, the, the time or the expedience in carrying all of that out, that's, that's changeable. Could be 8 in the morning, could be 9 in the morning, right? It can vary. So what is an expedience not? I'm, or what is not an expedience? I'm going to use the exact same example. Again, we've already shown that we have to partake of the Lord's Supper. We have already shown that there is a time to partake of the Lord's Supper. That is the first day of the week. We've already shown that there are elements for the Lord's Supper. We have the uh, fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread. We can look at the worship examples and see that we have praying and that we have singing, uh, that we give the, the uh, give of our means. Um, we can see all of that, and we can see that it doesn't even really matter where we meet, right? We can meet here in this church building. It's not holy. We can meet at a campground. Uh, we could meet if there was, let's say, two families. We could meet in a house if we're, there was only two families uh, within a city. Um, but now you have people who are advocating that we have virtual worship, as they call it, uh, and that that is a matter of expedience. That's a matter of carrying out uh, the worship that we have commanded of us within the Scriptures. Well, here's a good question. Is how we worship... Uh, a doctrinal matter or is a matter of expedience. I'm not going to go back and spend tons of time on this, but I think what you really need to do is go back and look at Paul. 
Paul was dealing with a number of issues that had infiltrated into the church there in Corinth. And we can go back and look at what Paul was saying to them, and we can learn an awful lot uh, about uh, authorized worship as Paul is dealing with the problematic worship that we see taking place in Corinth. I'm going to go on over to 1 Corinthians 11, 18 through 20. We're going to focus in primarily on verse 18 and then 20. 1 Corinthians 11, 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, that word church is assembly, when ye come together in the assembly... All right, we got Christians assembled together. I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that which are approved may be made manifest among you. Verse 20, listen closely. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, he says, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, and he goes on. Let's focus on that. When you come together in the church, when you come together in the assembly, when you come together, therefore, into one place, you can't come together as an assembly during virtual worship. You don't come together in one place. You may try to, you'll get people to try to say, well, we come together virtually as one group. No, you don't. You're not in one place. There's a number of things you cannot do. You can't be edified through, through singing. There's a whole number of things that you don't know if everything's being done decently in order. I don't know if a guy over there is doing everything decently in order when he's worshiping virtually in his house, as opposed to me worshiping virtually in my house. But when you look at the apostolic example and you look at Paul trying to solve their problems, he says, when you come together in the church, the assembly, these, these Christians are all gathered in one place. I just said earlier, it doesn't matter if you're at a campground, doesn't matter if you're in a garage, doesn't matter if you're in a hotel room, that's still all the gather, gathered together in one place. You're not gathered together in one place virtually, okay? We're looking... I know I'm getting a little bit off topic as we talk about what an expedience is not, but I'm trying to use this as a clear example. An expedience is time, the time at which we meet, right? That can be changed in carrying out the commands. Changing the command on how we gather to worship, that's not an expedience because it's not, it's not an option in carrying out the command. This changes the command, okay? 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat... Again, he's talking about coming together. Tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. We're supposed to come together not unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Now again, Paul is dealing with a number of issues in the partake in the Lord's Supper. But he makes it very clear that when they partake of the Lord's Supper, they are to come together. This is one assembly in one place. If you change the command, it's no longer an expedience. You are changing the command, okay? Notice also when Paul was dealing with their misuse of the miraculous during worship, what he says. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. What is part of that edifying? Well, when they came together as an assembly... When they came together into one place, they were to do all things decently and in order, things that were to edify. Are you doing everything decently and in order, and are you edifying when you're worshiping, trying to worship virtually out of your house? You're not even gathered together to partake of the Lord's uh, Supper uh, in unity. You, know, you don't know if somebody's partaking in unity uh, with you when they're uh, doing this virtually, right? These people are misusing their, their miraculous abilities during the worship assembly, and Paul is dealing with it. Now, let me make another side note, because I saw somebody make a claim on this. And again, let me... Virtual worship is not an expedient. It changes the command. It changes how they gathered. Uh, it, changes the, the, uh, it changes the whole condition in which the church is to assemble together. And there's a whole host of other problems that I'm not going to deal with. But somebody said, well, what about streaming worship? We can gather together in this building as scripturally required, and we could stream our worship. And you may say, well, why would you do it? Well, we have done it in the past. We don't primarily do it uh, during the Lord's Day. And the reason is, is we don't want someone to stay home and virtually worship versus coming to the building. So we don't stream our live service. We do record our lessons, and we put up just the sermon. Okay, But you could stream worship service, and, and you could be making sermons available online to those who physically could not get out, those who are homebound. 
you could also be making that available in ways to go out and to reach the lost. You also could be giving um, those lessons, presenting them, or midweek lessons like this in an effort to provide nourishment to Christians for study throughout the week, or possibly again because they cannot get out. Uh, but it's not a replacement for worship. At no time is us streaming worship meant to be a replacement to worship, right? It is simply to be an addition to reach those who are not yet Christians and are you know, not at the assembly, right? It, it's, an, it's a way to try to reach them, but it is not for those who are forsaking the assembling and decided today, uh, I'm just going to stay home and watch it online, right? That's not what it is for. And so it's not a replacement for worship, and furthermore, since it's not an expedience, uh, elders don't have the right to determine, yes, we're going to do it, uh, versus no, we're going to do it, and, and that's the decision we're going to come to. Uh, they don't have the right to make that decision on carrying out that, that option for the congregation, because God gave the command to worship. He tells us what day it's done. We see in what manner it's done as we look at the writings of Paul. They were, they were gathered together in one place. All right. Now let's get, back to the, let's get back to the elders. My whole point on making that tangent was time at which we meet, that is an expedience. Elders can make decisions on that expedience, right? Eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Virtual worship is not an expedient, okay? It changes the command. Elders do not have the authority to make decisions on, on what God has already proclaimed as uh, is acceptable for worship. Let me, let me make one more statement before I move on. I don't know anybody within the churches of Christ who condoned virtual worship prior to COVID. If you said, hey, I, I noticed the local community church has virtual worship. Is that scriptural? Prior to COVID, nobody would say it was scriptural. Lo and behold, they changed their, they changed their mind. How far are you going to allow the world to change you to where you change your mind on things? What is it next? Instrumental music? What is it next? female deacons and female elders? I mean, where do you draw the line when you begin to change your, change your mind based on the, on the world around you? All right, let me get back to my lesson. Elders don't have the right to change that. With that being said, the elder's role is one of extremely heavy burden, and it has a lot of requirements. And there's a number of words we can go back and look at in the original language, which not only shows the burden that they have, but also their authority over the congregation. We're going to go back and just look at a few Greek words uh, and look at how those are, are used to describe the, uh, the work of the elder or the role of the elder. We're going to start with the word episkopos. Again, that's the word there for overseer uh, or for bishop. Uh, as mentioned earlier, this is one of the words that's used for an elder. Again, we see it in Acts 20:28. 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Elders have the authority and they have the responsibility to see that things done by Christians are in alignment uh, with the scriptures uh, and they are to oversee, they are to watch over the congregation. Now, guys, that's for a man who takes his job serious, and I can see why a lot of men would not want to be an elder, uh, and that's why he has to desire this good work. I can see why a lot of men really would not want to desire this, this work. I'm sure some men want it for the prominence. They want it just for the, as they call it, the title. It's not a title. It's a description, but they want, it, they want to be referred to as the elder. They want to be the top dog in charge. Guys, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't want this role, or they, they, they wouldn't want it because if they're going to carry it out scripturally, they are the overseers of the congregation. They're going to be dealing with problems at four in the morning. They're going to be dealing with marriage problems. They're going to be dealing with, with problems with people's children. They're going to, they may be coming and bailing a member out of jail. The list would go on and on. These guys have an extremely hard task. And I know a lot of people will talk bad about the elders' decisions. And lo and behold, what if they were placed in that position because they were qualified and they had to make that decision. And they knew that many members of the congregation or some members of the congregation weren't going to like what they were doing. They're not making the decisions to please the members of the congregation. They make the decisions to please God because they are the overseers of the congregation. If a man is an, is an elder and he is not truly overseeing the congregation, he needs to step down or he needs to be removed. Because one of his requirements is to be an overseer. 
One of the duties he has to do, we're going to look at the Greek word here, poimeno, means to feed. Not only is he overseeing the congregation, he needs to be making sure the congregation is fed. Again, we go back to Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. Right? It doesn't stop there. Whoa, you're an elder. It doesn't quit. He has a job to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Part of that would be making sure that the minister is preaching the full counsel of God, that he is, he is feeding the congregation spiritually what they need to keep from going off into error, or for those that have gone off into error, to draw them back. Right? That's part of the responsibility of an, el- of an elder. They need to be asking, is the church being fed spiritually? Are we doing our job in overseeing the congregation? 1 Peter 5, 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Again, taking the oversight. You're the overseers. Make sure they're being fed. Thereof not by constraint, but willingly, right? He needs to seek after this good work. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now, if you go back and look at the Greek lexicon, defines this word feed as to tend a flock, to keep sheep, to rule, to govern, to furnish pasturage or food. And so the elders have the authority to rule, govern, provide pasturage as we would for the congregation. They're to make sure we are spiritually nourished. That's why they're overseeing the congregation, to make sure that we're spiritually nourished. Part of this overseeing the congregation and part of this making sure we are spiritually nourished is an ongoing activity. We see it through this word, watch. Watch. They're constantly watching. They have to be watching. They're watching for those that may go wayward. They're watching for a way to bring back the wayward. They're watching for anything that may come in and and hurt the congregation as a whole. Right? You've got congregations that have gone off into 80-70 doctrine error here in, in Michigan. If they had elders at the congregation, they should have had the foresight to have been watching for that. We don't have elders here, but I guarantee you every man here has, has knowledge of this, and we're watching for it. We're watching for that kind of error to come in. We're watching for Calvinistic error to come in. Acts 20, 31. Gregorio, the word watch. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That word watch which we find also being used to um, describe the work of of an elder. Um, The reason that he has got this oversight, the idea behind this watching um, is to give strict attention to, right? It is to be cautious, to be active. Uh, Elders have the responsibility to watch over congregations. They have the responsibility to make sure that there's no error that's creeping in. Uh, and so they need to make sure that there's, there's nothing that's going to come in and, one, either destroy individually uh, the person, or, two, it will come in and destroy the congregation as a whole. All right. Prolistomai, the word over, talking about elders here. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Remember I said we don't have, we don't have titles, we have descriptions of our work. Elders are laboring among you, notice this, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, if you go back and look this up in the Greek, in the lexicon, the word over here, describing the work of the elder as he labors, is to set or place before, to set over, to be over, to superintend, to preside preside over, to rule, to care for, to give attention. Elders have the authority to do that which is necessary to superintend and to guard and to protect uh, and to attend to the welfare, welfare of the local congregation. Right? They have been delegated this authority uh, to labor among the church, which they are over, and part of that is to make sure that the congregation is, is safe. Right? They are in a position, a position of authority to superintend or to govern the local body. All right, we see that in another word here. Uh, Hegomai means to rule or govern, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they... Here's that word watch again, which I mentioned earlier. This one directly related to the elders. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, 
for that it is for that is unprofitable for you. All right, they rule over. We've already seen they're in a position over you. They are to lead. Here we have the word uh, meaning to rule again or to govern. Okay, the word here means to lead, to go before, to rule, to command, to have authority over, and that's again why elders have mandated qualifications. They need to be scripturally knowledgeable men. They need to be righteous men. They must be good examples, and they need to be able to make decisions to scripturally rule or govern over the local body. Right? Elders have authority over the church, and again, those that would rebel against them when they are scripturally exercising that authority are directly rebelling against God. Now, Somebody gave me the extreme example one time. Well, what about when the elders tell you that um, you have to meet at 4 o'clock in the morning for worship, right? They're going to govern over the congregation, and they, they say you have to meet at 4 o'clock in the morning. Well, I would say if I didn't have a chance to speak with them first, I would be at worship at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then I could assure you I would, I would ask for a sit-down with the elders to discuss this matter of expedience uh, in which they have determined 4 o'clock to be the best time to meet for the congregation. Now, lo and behold, there may be a reason I'm, I'm not aware of that 4 o'clock a.m. is the best time. Uh, but I would ask for a sit-down and to find out, are they ruling and governing properly uh, when it comes to matters of expedience? Uh, and I certainly would do that when it comes to doctrinal matters, right? They're to rule or to govern. If they come back and said, for example, Sean, from now on, at the end of every sermon, I want you to preach faith-only salvation, uh, I'm going to ask, by, by whose authority do you have the right to rule and govern and command me to do something that's not found in the Scriptures? Uh, I'm not going to go any further with that. I can't imagine something like that would happen, but I'm sure that it has. I'm sure that it has. Let's look at another word describing the work of the elder. Uh, patho means to obey, Hebrews 13, 17. We just looked at this passage, but there's another word here. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, and they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, it's interesting, if you look this word obey up, it's not really rendered the way that you would think it's rendered. The word there actually is rendered to persuade or to be convinced, to cause, to believe, to listen to, to obey, which we would expect, or to yield to. Elders have the responsibility to lead the congregation by Scripture, right? The requirements made for the church are based on Scripture. Matters of expedience are based on the welfare of the church as a whole. Uh, members have the requirements to obey their rule when it's, again, by the Scriptures. The rule of the eldership, again, must be based on book, chapter, and verse, or in matters of expedience. It ought to be based on the welfare of the congregation. Um, and so... Elders will persuade and rule through the Scriptures, and we as the fellow members of the congregation, we are to, we are to obey what the elders have set down. Right? We find this same word, patho, actually used over in James 3.3. Let me show you the use of the same word here. James 3.3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth. If you don't know what a bit is, I'll just use my finger. It's that thing that goes in right here, and they pull on it, right? And it makes the horse obey. He's using the same word here. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey. Patho, the same thing that we're told to do for those that have rule over us. And we turn about their whole body. We are showing the extent of such persuasion by the elders. Uh, some may say, well, I heard what he said, uh, but I'm not going to obey him. Uh, he has the right to come in here and to, and to try to get you to obey. Now, you could throw your hands up and say, you know what, I'm leaving the church, I'm not going to be a Christian. Uh, my guess is he's going to make some attempts to try to stop that, but at such point when you've made that determination, um, so be it. Uh, you're going to be looked at as a public and a heathen, uh, as a publican and a heathen. But he does, have the, he does have the right to try to persuade you, and that persuasion may be in very intense you may go back and... Actually, I just saw this on Facebook last week. I saw where somebody posted a letter. The elders had sent a letter to a certain person, uh, and she posted it on Facebook because she didn't like it. And here's what the letter said. 
We have realized that you have not been faithful. They gave the verse. We are watching for your souls and we are for your soul and we are concerned uh, for your soul. We are urging you to come back to worship. If you do not have a good reason for missing worship on a continued long-term basis like you have been, you need to be back at the next appointed worship service. And you need to repent of the reason in which you have not uh, been attending. If you do have a good reason, you need to contact us. But if you do not contact us and you are not at worship by next, and they gave the date, we are going to withdraw fellowship from the pulpit. You know what that is right there? That's the bit in the horse's mouth. It's taking some serious persuasion to get this person to understand that they have been unfaithful. The congregation is overseeing, or the elders are overseeing the congregation. They're watching for that person's soul. That person posted that on Facebook like, they're a bunch of jerks. Can you look what they're doing to me publicly? Well, it wasn't public till that person posted it on Facebook. It was going to become public, don't get me wrong, but up until that point, it was a private matter. Why were, they, why were they addressing that person in such a way? Because they were unfaithful. They, need, they needed to be back at worship. They needed to quit forsaking the assembling. And they have to take drastic measures sometimes to get you to fall back into alignment with the Scriptures. And when they, when they sent that letter, my guess, my guess is they didn't look at it like the way they should have. They went, these guys are a bunch of jerks. And they posted it on Facebook. You know what they should have said? These are from the elders. They just gave book, chapter, and verse for all of the reasons that I am in sin. I must obey them that have the rule over you. Hebrews 13, 17. But no, that's not how they looked at it. All right. They have the right to persuade, and sometimes that persuasion is going to come across as some may find unloving. I find what that eldership did to be very loving. More so, I find it to be in perfect alignment with the Scriptures. We have another word here, okonomos. The word means steward here. For a bishop, an elder, right, a, a presbyter, a pastor, an overseer, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. He goes on. Here's how the Greek lexicon defines the word steward here. It is the manner or the person in charge of a household or a person in charge of household affairs, specifically a steward, manager, or a superintendent. Again, the elders have the duty and the authority as the steward of, God's, of God to manage and superintend the, superintend the affairs of the local congregation. The local congregation is under their oversight. Again, their overseers. Let me point something out here as I start to draw this to a close. I know my notes were a little random and I was a little all over the place. I finished, I finished this at lunch. Elders have probably one of the hardest jobs you could ever have. Uh, they have, they have a, a burden placed upon them that many men would not want to carry. Okay? We who are under the authority are bound to obey them so long as they do not go contrary to the Word of God. And again, each Congress, each congregation is autonomous and is self-governing. And therefore, the elders only have local authority, right? It, their authority begins and ends with the local congregation. And so therefore, as an example, if we had elders, our elders couldn't come over and say, hey, by the way, um, we think that you guys should be having service at 10 o'clock. I mean, we see that you guys on your website do it at 11, but, you know, you really should do it at, at 10 o'clock. Well, those elders don't attend that congregation. They don't know why they set that time. Now, you may say, well, what if elders get involved in another congregation's business because they're off in sin? I don't bring that down to the level of just an elder. Does he have more authority? He does in the local congregation, but any Christian who saw that taking place should be dealing with that. If I saw online that my brother in Christ who used to attend a faithful congregation is now attending an unfaithful congregation, let's just say they're worshiping unscripturally, that's not left up to the elders to deal with that. That's left up to any faithful Christian to deal with it, of which an elder may be one, but he has no authority over that congregation. Uh, he only has authority over the local congregation, but we as all Christians, we do have authority to get involved with our loved ones and our brethren when we see them go into air. That's not solely an a, uh, elder responsibility. I wish I could go back and deal with some scriptures on that. 
I'm hoping you get a little bit of a better idea about the elders. Uh, we did list briefly their requirements. They're, they are must-haves. They are not suggestions. You must meet those requirements. We see a number of different words used to describe the elders, and that's because each of those words is describing a role of the elder. And we notice again how difficult the elder's job is, just as we've looked at a few words describing what they do, right? They do have oversight. They are watching over the congregation. They are watching for our souls. These guys have a heavy burden. Again, we even looked at uh, the specific requirements for the elders, and just because a congregation says they have elders doesn't mean that they have qualified elders. And most likely, if they have unqualified elders, there's a good chance those men are not really looking out for the souls of those in the congregation. All right, I'm going to draw this to a close. Hopefully, you have a better understanding about elders. Uh, I know that this was a last-minute study. It was requested late last night. Uh, when you guys have studies, please send them to me. Let me know. I will work on them right away. Uh, unless it's a very difficult uh, assignment, and then maybe it'll take a week. As I draw this to a close, my concern is that you are a Christian and that you're worshiping with a faithful body. To become a Christian is not complicated. Again, I always tell people, don't just listen to somebody when they tell you how to become a Christian. Look up the verses. You first need to know what the Bible expects of you, and that means that you're going to have to hear the gospel, or you've got to study it, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing. You then have to believe or have faith, Hebrews 11:6. If you don't believe specifically that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, you're going to die in your sins, John 8, 24. So you have to have heard the gospel. You need to believe it so that you will obey. Well, what do I need to obey? Jesus made it clear that everyone needs to repent, Luke 13, Luke 13, 3 and 5. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to repent of that. We also need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Uh, and then we need to be immersed in water for the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38. Again, it's not complicated. That's what Jesus specifically says we have to do, Mark 16, 15, and 16. You need to have heard the Word. You need to believe it. You need to repent of your sins. You need to confess Christ. You need to be immersed in water. When you have followed the simple gospel plan, which you will find in the conversion accounts, the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. Now, some will say, well, that's really complicated. You know, we just teach faith only uh, by grace only. First of all, there's not a verse for that. I gave you the verses Second of all, there's no conversion account that shows that. I urge you to go back and look at all the conversion accounts. The way I just told you you become a Christian today, that's how they always became Christians. That's how you still become a Christian. The Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47, and then you're expected to be faithful. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Revelation 2, 10, and a number of other passages. Uh, 1 John um, 1, verses 3 through 5. And so if you're watching this and you've not done that, please contact us. We'd love to study with you or we'll help you find somebody else to study with. You can contact us at portagechurchofchrist.net. There's a few different ways to contact us and we'll get back to you. Again, I hope you learned a little bit about uh, the eldership today. And again, if uh, there's any way we can help you spiritually, feel free to contact us.